Hey everyone, welcome to Zonian Canada. Uh, I'm your host, Jesse Betteridge. So in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing Raj Ramaya. Uh, listeners of the show are most likely to know Raj uh, for his past musical collaborations with, with Yoko Kano. Uh, you were, of course, the, the vocalist for, for Ask DNA on the recently re-released Cowboy Bebop movie, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And you also did Strangers from Wolf's Reign. Those are two of the most well-known things. But your musical career goes uh, much deeper than that, especially in Japan. Uh, he's one half of the band The Beautiful Losers uh, and a producer for Strawberry Hill Music, uh, which is a audio post-production studio in L.A., correct? Oh, in San Francisco, actually. San Francisco. Yeah, so in San Francisco. I had the state right. Uh, and, of course, since this uh, this podcast is about uh, anime's relationship with Canada and Canadian media, and uh, the main reason uh, I asked Raj to come on the show today is because uh, he is from Saskatchewan. Yeah, correct. <laughs> what was your musical background or sort of entertainment background before you left Saskatchewan? Um, well, I was uh, a university student when I left Saskatchewan, and um, I was just playing in bands. Um, I wasn't quite really planning on making a career out of music but um you know went to went to japan at that time there was a lot of opportunities in the music industry so i i started uh um getting a lot of work in japan as a as a musician and it kind of very quickly um kind of morphed into a uh, career what 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 drove you to to japan was it the opportunities in the industry or is just something that sort of evolved naturally from from heading out that way it kind of evolved naturally from heading out that way i um i uh was planning to go to japan um just for a year and work and and save some money and go traveling around uh, southeast asia and really sort of you know see the world from japan i had some friends out there but uh, when i arrived i was really pleasantly surprised that there's a, a very um vibrant music scene going on in japan there weren't a lot of foreigners um, in Japan that uh, that were, you know, singers and songwriters. It was mostly uh, foreigners who were playing um, backup instruments like keyboards, guitar, or bass in bands um, supporting Japanese artists. So it was a, I was a bit unusual, and I was, um, yeah, as I mentioned, pleasantly surprised that there was a lot of opportunities for me at that time to uh, write songs with people and sing on their on their um, on their projects. So um, I quickly got. Involved with a lot of different people in the in the indie underground music scene, and and then we had some hits, actually with songs that I'd co-written with people, um, and uh, things took off rather quickly, a lot quicker than I thought, and um, we ended up, or I ended up working with a lot of interesting artists in Japan, and I was invited back over and over again by artists to be a guest songwriter or guest singer. And, uh, yeah, it just kept on going, and it just never stopped <laughs> for 10 years. So it was a good, very good situation. And which time, uh, like what time period was this at this point? This was like the mid-90s, mm-hmm. um, and um, at that time in Japan, it was like, it was the it was kind of the, um, the peak of the music industry in Japan. The Japanese were like really into um, um, Britpop, and um the american grunge scene and you know music in general in in japan was a big business a lot of i mean you could you could um put out an album independently at that time and sell fifty thousand copies and like easily (laughs) everybody was buying music and it was just music everything centered around music really it was a time when music was big and it, it, it was um a really big deep 
vibrant industry that um, could support a lot of bands and um, a lot of musicians could make a living at the time. So it was um, special. Yeah, well, when you, when you look at Japan, even now, it's one of the, the few markets where people still buy physical music all the time, like Tower Records still going strong in Japan. So it says a lot that it was, uh, that it was bigger, uh, for, for independent artists back then. Do, do you think that has, so it's, but do you think that the, the indie scene has sort of declined in Japan since then? Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, in terms of, um, actual physical sales, yes. Um, uh, but in terms of, um, creating content, I think the Japanese are still creating a ton of content and, and nowadays Japanese bands are, are reaching out to the rest of the world and they're, they're touring, um, in Asia and they're coming once in a while to the U.S. through conventions. So I still think that there's a lot going on. It's just, um, the business end of it has changed. People are, um, like in the U.S., they're, looking for another way to make a living for music and as as you know sales are not you know not the same as they used to be so people are finding other ways to sustain themselves with music via traveling uh, touring and, and selling merchandise etc and and at this time sorry you you were between Japan and Saskatchewan or were you uh, at different places in Canada or the US well, I, I really wasn't, I was coming back to Saskatchewan to, to visit family, mm-hmm. um, in the summers, but I was, um, I was like, you know, for the most part in Japan, there was just so much going on that, um, like, it was, it's mind blowing, there was so much going on that, uh, I didn't feel the need to go to the US, um, I felt like a big fish in a small pond, uh, <laughs> there. So, um, yeah, so it was like, it was a, it was, it was a great time to be there. It was just very, um, serendipitous that I was there at that time. And, um, you know, everything was coming to, to Japan. It wasn't like you need to leave Japan. All the big bands were coming there. Everybody was excited, interested in the scene in Japan. So you really didn't need to go anywhere at that time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just very, um, how should I say, very uh, well set up mm. for music. Every, you know, there were so many and still are so many live venues in Japan. And uh, really um, a, a love, a passion for music and, yeah, you know, in, in, in Jap- with, with Japanese people in general. And was this mainly in Tokyo you were in or uh, were you in, in different cities? I was mainly based out of Tokyo, but you know, we, um, depending on the project, I would, you know, end up going to other cities to perform. But Tokyo was really the hub of music and, you know, all the studios and production companies were there. So, like I said, my phone was always ringing and there's always something interesting going on. It's like when you have one hit, everybody wants to be, everybody wants a piece of your magic. And they don't know what it is about you that works, but for some reason you resonate. And it's just, I was extremely fortunate that way. I, I remember going to Tower Records and looking at the, you know, the Billboard Top 100 and having four or five songs in there. Um, and I was going like, wow, this is incredible. I was like, wow, I've got like four or five songs and I can see the, the CDs on the, on the wall and, and go like I had four or five songs to the Billboard Top 100. It was just a dream, you know, a dream. And then you know, um, it just kept on going. Like I said, and it was uh, always mind blowing. 
And you were involved with with different bands uh, at this point. What was it? Mainly vocals you were doing, and in, in for for a lot of those songs. So I was writing songs also. Uh, I was singing with people. I would be a um, uh, they call it top liner. I would I would sometimes uh, sing um, on top of um, music that some band created, create melodies for them, and write lyrics. And sometimes I would um, I'd uh, I'd be like actually writing a song for them. So basically, I was singing and songwriting um, and coaching other people, like some Visual K and and um, pop artists. Also, I would I would do all the vocals for them, and then they'd mimic me when they went to the studio and, oh, okay. and um, recorded their songs. So so I go in, I I work with people like Smith or um, Hyde, and I would actually um, sit down and write a song on on guitar with their band, and then the Visual K artist would come in and duplicate what I did. In, uh, and then he would write his own lyrics, or I would write the lyrics, or I would write the song, and then they would add lyrics to it. So it was, it's a combination of different things. And for when you were writing lyrics, were they were these mainly English lyrics you were writing, or Japanese lyrics? Well, if I was writing the lyrics, it'd be English. Mm-hmm. Um, if they were um, writing the lyrics, it'd be obviously Japanese. Uh, oh, right, so yeah. it, it kind of depended on the on the scenario. Um, so it, you know, it really it went it went back and forth. It was it was uh, it was always different, you know. Um, so it, it was very interesting because you know, sometimes one day I'd be working on a jazz um, fusion album with some, the next day I'd be doing Visual K, you know, and or something, you know. Um, or, or, or I did a lot of TV commercials. I wrote and uh, sang on a lot of TV commercials, which is a real bread and butter kind of gig. Yeah, yeah. Japanese commercials were like um, at the time I was. Uh, I was, you know, uh, getting a, uh, you know a lot of attention. So I was singing and writing TV commercials in Japan, which was very lucrative. Um, and up until maybe eight, nine years ago, it was still good business. So I was doing a lot of that. And then I would once in a while do a game, or once in a while do an anime or something, or do a movie soundtrack. So I was always doing something like that. But the TV commercials were like the main sort of, you know, like stable kind of money earner so but you know the tv commercials in japan are not like here people in japan are fans of tv commercials they buy the albums tv commercials has have their own stable stables of characters that that you follow from week exactly I'm, i'm one of those people who obsessively watches like compilations of japanese commercials on youtube uh which you can you can oh wow okay yeah, I can I can recommend if you wanna if you wanna see some uh, I can I can recommend you some links. With the Japanese advertising industry, is that is it kind of is it kind of in the same ecosystem as the like the the greater music industry, or is it sort of its own isolated weird little thing? Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how it it works? Well, you know, I actually believe it or not met Yoko Kano through TV commercials. Oh, okay. Um, because you know people are. Uh, quote-unquote anime or game artists or composers or whatever they are. But, you know, if there's an anime or you get one or two anime soundtracks a year, you, you can't really live doing just that. Oh, of course You no, need to be doing a, lo- a lot. Right. Yeah. So, the, like, as I mentioned, the, the kind of, like, I don't know if we call it a secret, but the uh, reality was that a lot of famous artists were, were writing or... Uh, or um, Composing uh, music for TV commercials because it's a it's a steady job where it keeps turning over every season and they need more and more content. So 
I would meet, I met Yoko Kano because I came in one day to um, sing on some uh, TV commercial for, um, some kids TV commercial for a kids product, kind of frog, I don't remember what it was. And she heard me sing and she was like, oh, this guy would be, is interesting. And then uh, one of her um, P- A&R people ran into me at a club. Uh, I was like, it was like a cafe where I was singing songs that I'd written at a cafe. And so, um, She'd heard about me from Yoko at the, you know, for the TV commercial and, and hunted me down, came out to see me. So, you know, the TV commercials really led to a lot of other opportunities. And, you know, you release a TV commercial and suddenly millions of people are hearing you, you know, uh, every day. So it was a really, um, good opportunity to get heard. And, uh, Yoko was actually, that's what she did. That was actually her living, you know. The anime was a side thing. <laughs> yeah. For um TV commercials, yeah. Yeah, and I I believe your first uh collaboration with Yoko Kano, I think it was Turn A Gundam, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Had you worked on as any and this was the first this would have been the first time you worked on an anime. You hadn't worked anime isn't an area you worked in before you, you met Kano? You know, I'd I had never heard of anime before I met Yoko. Um mm-hmm. you know, so I started working with her um on, on anime and it was interesting because um, it was a new field for me and I didn't really understand the, the you know much about games or anime at that time because people it wasn't a big thing at that time really it was the very beginning of um, a new wave of, of um, a new a new genre of music basically you know I was fortunate to get involved so early with it and be involved in some classic anime I mean I'm on a a lot of her songs actually as a as, as a co-writer and a singer I just in the, I think that in a lot of that material didn't even get released in the West it was a lot of it was still domestic you know so but the ones that people know are you know the the Wolverine Cowboy Bebop Gundam and stuff like that. But there's definitely a lot of other stuff out there that, you know, I worked on. Lots of deep cuts and the, the OSTs and, and other stuff. Yeah, exactly. Can, can you kind of describe uh, working with Yoko Kano? Uh, I know from Turning Gundam, I think you, you probably did a few other projects. But, of course, the the, the big one that came up was uh, doing the vocals for, for Ask DNA and the, the Cowboy Bebop movie. But, like, I, I guess in your working relationship with Kano was sort of not too different from uh, other collaborations you had done in different fields? Um, yeah, yeah, basically, you know, I, I um, as I mentioned, I, I got to work with a lot of interesting people on a regular basis. It was like literally every week, <laughs> like it's, I guess it's hard to really uh, get it, but literally my phone was always ringing and there was always somebody who wanted to work. Because um, once you have a hit, everybody wants to, like I said, work with you. And we were having multiple kinds of hits at the time I was. And so there was just multiple people who'd be calling me up and they'd hear about me from somebody else. And, uh, they'd say, come, can you come write a song with me? Or can you sing on this? Or can you write lyrics for that? And so the whole singer songwriter thing quickly turned into a very good living for me very quickly and my friends at home couldn't believe it that I could make a living as a singer songwriter. <laughs> um, it was like, what? You know, but it, it just, it was true. And at the time it was, uh, 
you go through those phases whenever you're you're kind of the item, right? The hot item, and everybody wants to work with you. So, yeah, I hope I didn't derail that. Oh no, that's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's you know, it, it was a very good situation for Bauer. When you work with Kano, like you, you worked as a lyricist and as a vocalist, um, but were, 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 do you? Were you typically like doing both on some projects, or like the lyricists and vocalists kind of hands-on with the recording process, or was uh, everything kind of more segmented? Or I, I don't know what, what you can really say about just that kind of the hands-on process with with how she does things. Well, you know, she she basically had me. A lot of people, other people, come on as as songwriters more so than we we would sing and write lyrics but we were also like writing songs with our you know, demos and we'd uh, go back and forth with um at that time you know like we 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 wouldn't share files we'd actually record on physical cds right so at that time we were actually writing songs with her um once in a while i get featured on a song as a singer but in the meantime you know i was actually we were just exchanging songs because i'd write parts on a guitar or piano and then send it back to her so we'd come up with um you know melodies and different things so um i think that a lot of japanese artists would like you to believe that you're just writing you know a lyrics or singing or something but the reality is um that we were writing songs with them um on different projects for sure i mean me and other people be right actually writing the songs so it, because if you listen to it they don't really have that background of pop rock you know so they would never naturally sort of you know come up with those kinds of melodies these are melodies that are foreign melodies and that's why they would want foreign songwriters to collaborate with but of course you're establishing a brand so you don't want to go running around telling people like somebody else is writing my song with me you know it's you know you're promoting that person so that that's it's become a bit of a weird thing over the years because it's, it's been there's a lot of, nowadays they've accepted that and they're cool to work with a foreign songwriter and, and said like yeah we worked with a foreign songwriter but at that time in the 90s they really wanted to establish themselves their brand the japanese brand of music and you'd be you'd be almost hidden from view um or you'd be in a back room writing songs or something <laughs> it was just part of the process you know but uh and i mean in a positive way it was just you know people were they were establishing their sound they didn't want um people running around telling everybody that you know they're collaborating with somebody else mm-hmm. so especially in the, around the late 90s and early 2000s you were doing a lot of work in video games specifically for sega uh did, did you kind of fall into that the same way that you you fell into doing some anime stuff yeah yeah i was doing a, a, a lot of songs for for video games um a lot of theme songs and uh, yeah it was the same thing you know like once the like i said once you sort of get to everybody gets to know you you get the phone calls right and people are always like again oh you're that game that that song turned out really well for that game. I'd like you to sit on my game. Can you, you know, do that on my game too? So that my game could become successful. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, you know, suddenly everyone has expectations of, you know, what, what's involved in working with you and they, you get, you get the opportunity, the door opens, you get to do stuff, right? So. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was great. Yeah. And most importantly, you, were a voice actor on uh, on some games, notably Shenmue 2. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, also Resident Evil, you know, I'm the voice of <laughs> Bruce McGivern on Resident Evil 2. Uh, the, 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 the voice acting gigs came because I was actually in the studio writing theme songs yeah. with the composer and singing, and I just happened to be there. And at that time, voice acting was just sort of becoming one of those things that everybody wanted to do. Yeah. And it was, I a just thing, it was a new thing in, in games at the time, so... And, and, yeah, so I just, like I said, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and, and people were, um, hey, why don't you just go ahead and voice the, voice the character as well, since you're here, that was kind of interesting. Um, so I felt very fortunate again to be in the right place at the time. It seems to be my life in general. Any, uh... <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, any, any, uh roles that you got to play that uh, that stuck out to you or were particularly memorable? Yeah, there were a lot. At that point, I was just um, getting um, singing and um, voice acting on a lot of productions. I guess the first one, the first ones I got was on that Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was like I had, I had my own TV show um, every week uh, on NHK, a couple of TV shows. And um, those uh, TV shows were... Um, were popular um, animated shows, and I was like the voice of different characters, and I would oh. sing songs. So I had like again, I had about three three different TV shows going on. Uh, usually, about two or three, where I'd be like um, the voice of an animated character, and then the character would I'd write songs for the character and sing. So, but that's all domestic stuff. So, like you know, people in um, outside Japan never really heard that stuff. Yeah, so. were they like children's shows or like variety shows? The children's shows mm-hmm. and some some variety shows, um, more like um, shows that um, were you know directed at mainstream kids shows because um, the kids shows were big money. They were like the Japanese version of Disney, yeah, on NHK and things like that. So because um, again, that kind of stuff really you know was with this was not a big business for them. So you worked, you basically did work directly for NHK. Um, was there, uh, how, how was, how did working for like a, a public broadcaster compare to, to some of the other work you were doing? Uh, well, it, it was steady. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you're going to try to make a living in the, in the entertainment industry, you want to have, you definitely want to have something that's steady. And so a lot of, um, artists, like I said, would, would, would write TV commercials and, and work something like NHK because NHK would, would have regular stuff happening for you and you'll be really surprised by how many professional musicians in Japan actually have a side gig working writing music for NHK or or you know TV Tokyo or something like that you know this is this is how you sort of you know you, you create a life for yourself as opposed to a here and there, song here and there or a soundtrack here and there you, you're, you're, you know, working for steady things like NHK or, or some other company that has regular work that feeds you uh, a steady supply of work. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. That's kind of how most musicians were, were making a living, working for NHK or TV Tokyo, writing theme songs, scores, and things like that. Yeah, I see. That makes sense. And that kind of paints a picture of what you were doing, uh, what you've been doing in Japan. Um, have you done any professional work in Canada? And and uh, if so, how does that compare to, you know, working in Japan or other countries? 
Um, yeah, I have. You know, I was lucky. Uh, my brother is a film producer in Canada, so he introduced me. He actually hired me while I was living in Japan to uh, write some music for his soundtracks for some CBC shows in Canada. So I ended up writing for um, um, made-for-TV movies and documentaries and TV shows in Canada through him, and then other people heard about me. And I'm actually at the Vancouver International Film Festival next month uh, doing a panel um, uh, on indies. Uh, I, I'm still scoring indie movies in Canada. Oh, wow. Uh, did. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, so I'm doing... <laughs> Every year or two, I'll get a, like a, a feature film, but I'll get like TV shows. I'm just finishing a 16-part documentary um, on on cowboy culture, believe it or not, in Saskatchewan or, or in Saskatchewan, Alberta. And then I, I finished a um, I scored a, a movie uh, this year uh, that featured uh, the cast from Silicon Valley, the TV show. And uh, so I'm getting I'm doing yeah I'm doing any movies, TV shows as well. Uh, and Games. I'm just wrapping up a big uh, game for China, um, and uh, as some animation projects. Uh, so yeah, it's a variety of things. There just isn't the fandom around indie movies and, and those types of things. Well, I mean <laughs> that's kind of the point. Fandom, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I know that recently, I think probably the most recent anime um, project you worked on was Made in Abyss. Uh, you collaborated with Kevin Penkin. Uh, on the soundtrack, and specifically, yeah. you um, you did the vocals for, uh, well, it's called an insert song, but it was actually used as the opening for the first and final episodes of the show, Underground River Fall. Uh, could you talk about your experience working uh, with, with Kevin Penkin and working on Made in Abyss? Um, yeah, it was a great experience. He's actually coming to the studio today. Uh, he's oh. back here in the U.S. And we're going to start work. We're, uh, we were actually working on uh, a couple of animes uh, one anime together and this game we've been working on and uh, yeah it's uh, it was a good experience I'd never actually met him we just did record everything online um, and uh, yeah it was great I, I you know I was just sort of um, kind of interested in getting back into the anime world and and it just uh, the opportunity came up to work with him and so yeah he was a great guy and you know we'd never met before that but now we're good friends and we hang out and uh, he's worked on projects coming back to the U.S. and working with me on different things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're kind of uh, looking at what's going to happen next. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited because we may be working again in the anime space and definitely work in the game space. We have a few more games coming up. So it's, uh, yeah, it's cool. Very I, I know with, with, with Made in Abyss, I, I remember when that first episode aired, apparently they forgot to credit uh, you guys for the for Underground River Full when it was used in the first episode. Uh, or at least I heard something about that. Yeah, this is typical, <laughs> which is something we, we warned them about not to do that. And, and then again, they did, did it, you know. So it's it's just, it's I don't know why that happens, but it happens, you know, uh, fairly often. It's not like it was just like a, a small song that appeared incidentally in the the episode it was used as the opening in that episode in my opinion that's a great song i think it actually should have been i should have, i think it should have been used as the actual opening for the series but you know there's politics yeah and that um but uh yeah that's that's a that was a huge oversight and that was a really like big production too so 
Uh, and getting a second season, so uh, <laughs> I hope I hope we hear you guys back in the second season. So, Raj, before we we wrap up, can you tell us like about just some of your other work, like uh, with the Beautiful Losers and uh, and what you do with Strawberry Hill Records? Well, it's, it's Strawberry Hill Music. We're a music oh, sorry, production music, company. <laughs> and we, yeah, yeah. Well, we do, we do a lot of again games, um, animation, soundtracks, and voiceover, sound design. Um, and um, we do a lot of um, animated TV commercials and um, try different things, you know, for uh, for visual media, music, music and audio for visual media. So that's what we do in general. Um, and uh, we're always looking for something, the next interesting project. So we've got a, a ton of things going on. And yeah, we we work with artists at, at conventions, producing events and things like that, as well as doing um, OSTs and things like that. So, um, yeah, a, a wide variety of things, for sure. Also, you're you're part of a group, The Beautiful Losers, as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah The Beautiful Losers, um, we're just finishing up a new album, uh, and uh, we're hoping to put that album out um, this spring. So, um, you know, I've been working on that as well. Um, you know, and so those I have my personal projects, but I'm also writing songs for, like, um... Uh, TV shows here in the U.S. Uh, for all sorts of different um, uh, TV shows and, and movies as well. A lot of theme songs. So um, yeah, it's it's a lot of the, the beautiful losers material. Usually goes on once we record it. It usually ends up becoming a part of a TV show or or a um, a TV commercial or some sort of visual media. The songs go to that. So it's like a personal project where I write the songs that I like. And mm. then I place them on, I on, on different TV shows as as opposed to people calling me up and saying, I want this. Can you make mm. that for me? So it's kind of the opposite situation yeah. where I indulge myself. Yeah, but you get, you, you get to come at it from both angles, though. So uh, that's 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 good for you. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's fun. And Raj, I know you uh, you do performances at anime conventions now and again. Um, we're recording this in, in September yeah. of 2018. Anything uh, lined up that uh, folks might be able to find you at? I'm at a few conventions coming up. I think they'll have to come to my website and check it out. Anime Midwest, I think, in, in Chicago. Uh, anime and a few West, other yes. places. I haven't. I'm, I'm at a few different conventions. I haven't got my my schedule solidified for 2019, but definitely next summer I'm at um, several conventions. Uh, and I'm looking forward to that. So it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember seeing you perform at Anime Evolution. It was about, I think, eight or nine years ago now. But it was a great show, uh, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Okay, so uh, Raj, I think that pretty much wraps us up. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate yeah, it. And uh, where can where can people find you online, Raj? You can, you can join me at uh, on on Facebook or Twitter at Raj Ramaya um, on R-A-J-R-A-M-A-Y-Y-A on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram and uh, come to my website RajRamaya.com and check out uh, my uh, music production company Strawberry Hill Music and you can see our reel on the top page and all the cool people we work with great well thanks so much Raj uh, and thanks for tuning into Zion right. Canada uh, everyone you can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge, or email zonincanada at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this interview, uh, by the time this episode is out, if you go to zonin.ca, I'm going to have my previous interviews uh, listed on the sidebar. Uh, if you want to listen to me talk to PJ Phil Guerrero, uh, Sugar from The Zone, 
um, or the former uh, YTV head of programming, John Rooney, um, Lisa Patillo from uh, Seven Seas Entertainment. Uh, I'm going to have all of those listed on my website. You can check them out. The theme song for this show is by Ultra Kleistron and can be found in his album Packet Flood. Uh, and you can find that at ultraclystron.com. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. And uh, leave a rating or review if you have a chance. It really helps with the visibility for this show, especially on iTunes. If you know anyone who might like this show, please recommend it to them. See you again!